Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Well, as Jamie mentioned, we are continuing our lay it down and let it go, or as Todd called it, give it up and give it away or something. I, he, he totally missed it, but uh, the purpose is, is we're in the time, we're in a season of Lent, right? And so Lent is a, it's part of the church calendar where uh, lead the 40 days leading up to Easter, and it, they're made to, to mirror in the 40 days where Jesus was in the desert when he was fasting and praying, leading up to his temptation. And so there's something significant about when we let go of the things of the world so that we can take hold of the things of God. So this morning, we're, we're talking about letting go of the lies of the enemy so that we can take hold of the truth of God. We're going to be looking at that specifically in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. When Rachel and I started dating, uh, at the very beginning of our relationship, we sat down and we talked and we, we said, hey, we want to make a commitment to do our relationship with purity because we understood that purity paves the way for intimacy. And we wanted to be able to, uh, whenever we got married, we wanted to preserve our hearts so that we could fully give ourselves at that point in time. And, and one of the things that we, we, we determined was, hey, you know, no matter who we marry, so, you know, Rachel, if you marry another guy or if I marry another girl, I want to be able to look your future husband in the eye and say, uh, and I want him to be able to, to look me in the eye and say, thank you for the way that you treated my spouse, right? And, and, and hypothetically, if I had married another woman, I wanted that girl to be able to look Rachel in the eye and say, thank you for the way that you treated my husband, right? Because something about walking in purity paves the way for intimacy in our hearts. And I'm not just talking about re- physical intimacy. I'm talking about relational, emotional, and psychological intimacy, You see, God's heart for us is that we would walk in intimacy with him. But not only that we would walk in intimacy with him, but that we would walk in intimacy with one another. You see, intimacy is a powerful thing. And anything that's powerful can be used both for good, but can also be used for harm or for evil. And that same same principle is true for intimacy. Because intimacy is something that we can long for. And whenever we don't see that come to pass in our lives, we can face disappointment. Or even worse, you may have been in an intimate relationship or friendship with somebody and you've experienced the pain of intimacy, right? Because intimacy works both ways. My heart, my my aunt has a heart for abused dogs. And so she's got a little abused puppy that she's taken into her home. And the craziest thing is that this little puppy understands the intimacy principle. And what I mean by the intimacy principle is that that puppy understands that if you're close enough to love me, that means you're also close enough to hurt me. And so what do you do when you go up to that puppy? It, it draws away, right? Because I've been down that road. I, 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 don't, I can't trust you. I don't know who you are. In the same way, if we're close enough in relationship with somebody to love us and to receive love from them, we're also close enough for them to hurt us. And so it takes trust. It's a risk whenever we enter into a relationship with somebody. We're saying, I trust you enough to love me, but I'm also putting myself in a vulnerable position 
where I'm opening myself up to you potentially hurting me as well. True intimacy is the ability to be fully known and to be fully loved at the same time. So allow me to ask you this morning, where are you longing for intimacy in your life? Where are you longing to be known? Where are you longing to be loved? And, and, and despite your shortcomings, despite your faults, to receive that love. Or maybe where have you given up on intimacy? Where have you maybe said, you know, I've been down that road one too many times and you have begun to put up walls in your life to keep people far enough away from you so that they can't hurt you? I believe Jesus wants to heal us this morning. I believe he's in the house this morning. He wants to do a deep work of restoration. Here's the main idea this morning. Jesus came to restore the intimacy with God and with one another that was lost in the garden. Open up to Genesis 3 with me as we read our passage for today, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man of God heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. What we see here is that in Genesis 1, just prior to this chapter in Genesis 3, is that God created man, and he created them in his image, and he said that they were good. He created them for intimacy with himself. But that same intimacy is quickly destroyed, as we see here in Genesis chapter 3. And if we agree that intimacy is a good thing, that we're made for intimacy, and that God desires for us to have intimacy with him and with others, then it's of utmost importance that we understand how intimacy is lost in our lives so that we can reverse the trend and reverse the cycle of brokenness. This is the story of original sin. It's the story of how one wrong act led to a brokenness in relationship. And I would say that, yes, it was about the act, and the act is, is what, what brought this to pass, but the travesty here is not necessarily the act. The travesty is the relationship, the relational dynamic that was lost. The relationship between God and man and the relationship between each other, between the man and the woman. You see, marriage, your marriage fight is not necessarily unique to you. Genesis 3, first time it went down, right? 
man and woman going at it, right? And so there's something in our marriages, right, that can be tied back to what is happening here in Genesis chapter 3. And out of this event, the, the craziness of human condition, the sinfulness of mankind is let out into the world. If we're going to avoid and get out of what I like to call the Genesis 3 crazy cycle, we're going to need some help. But I want to break down the cycle. I've got a slide here that really demonstrates what's happening in these scriptures that I'm talking about. And the thing is, is that sin feeds off of itself. And when we walk in sin, it's not just that, oh, I've sinned and I've done this and it's just my deal and it's just affecting me. No, 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 no. Your sin affects everybody around you. It's a, you are, you are a human being. You are someone that has life because of the relationships that you have. And when we walk in sin, when we walk in this cycle of brokenness, it doesn't just lead us to bad places. It negatively affects everybody else we're around. So the first way that we see here in this crazy cycle that intimacy is lost is by listening to the enemy. Adam and Eve's first mistake was not eating the, 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 the apple. Their first mistake was giving the enemy the light of day, allowing him to speak to them. They should have been turning and running the other way, right? They shouldn't have even been in the in conversation, in the environment where he could speak to them. That was their first thing. Jesus talks about the enemy in this way in John 8, 44. He says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, yeah, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In John 10, 10, it's a voice we all, it's a verse we all like to quote and saying, you know, uh, Jesus came, says he came that we may have life and life to the full. But sometimes we forget the other part that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So if God is about life, then clearly the enemy is about the exact opposite. He doesn't play fair. Newsflash, he doesn't care about your life at all. He doesn't care about your life at all. He just wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Okay? That is who the enemy is. And Adam and Eve begin to reason with the enemy here in Genesis chapter 3. And in the process, the enemy begins to assault and lambast the character of God. Which leads to them questioning the nature of God themselves. Which leads us to our second element of the crazy cycle, that intimacy is lost as a result of questioning God. Did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? You will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what is the enemy questioning here? Well, he's questioning the word of God as true. He's questioning by saying, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? Surely he didn't actually mean that. He's questioning the idea that God is good. He's questioning the goodness of God. And in the process, he's planting this idea in Adam and Eve's mind before they've ever sinned. And he's planting this idea that God was holding out on them. God's holding out on you. He's got something good, but he doesn't want to give it to you. You don't want to trust him. You don't need to listen to what he has to say. He's not really good. And he's trying to get them to believe that. And when we, we begin to buy into that lie, it leads us to the logical conclusion that God actually is not good. 
And that in response that we ourselves need to turn to our own devices and our own abilities and our own strengths. We're saying, we're putting ourselves on the throne and we're saying, God, I don't really need you. I can figure this out. And I got to take things into my own hand because I can't trust that you're going to take care of me. Woo, right? And suddenly they begin to take the place of God in the Garden of Eden here. And they choose to do what they deem is in their best interest by eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their listening leads to questioning, which leads to their sinfulness. Intimacy is lost as a result of sin. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. What we see here is that Adam and Eve begin to rationalize their sin. They begin to act on those questions that the enemy has planted in their mind and that they've begun to believe. You see, they begin to frame and frame sin positively in their mind, okay? It's functional, right? It's good for food. It's good for food. Yeah, let's go for it. Secondly, they, they, they oh, it's pleasing to the eye. It's appealing to their senses. It makes me feel good. Surely it can't be bad if it makes me feel good. So what they're believing. Third, they, they saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. I will be elevated to a new level of knowledge and experience, right? I'll be able to prove my authority over everybody else. Make a lot of money, right? But I know what I know and how smart I am. They begin to rationalize this idea of sin as good. That's what the enemy does. He comes and he baits us and he gets us to a place where we begin to rationalize sin as a good thing. And then we start to slip into this life of compromise. They began to walk out in self-justification because of what they deserved, because God wasn't giving them these good things. They acted on a lie. And as we see here, Eve knew what she was doing. She actually repeats back to the servant, the serpent, no, God told us we shouldn't eat from that tree. And yet she still chose to commit the act of sin. We, lots of times we know where the line is, and yet we choose in our own brokenness to cross it anyways. They were focusing on what they didn't have instead of what God had already given them. Isn't that true of us? Man, we just, it's just in us, right? We just start to focus on, man, I just don't have that. Or, man, I w if only I, I had that much money. Or if only I had that job. Or if only I had that wife or that husband, right? Then my life would be good. Man, that is a dark place, y'all. That is a dark place to live. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. See, after they commit this sinful act, they realize what they've done. It leads them to a place of shame. And that's what sin does. Sin leads us into shame, which ruins and destroys intimacy in our lives. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They were ashamed of their sin, and they were ashamed of what they'd done. Have you ever been ashamed of your sin? Like really ashamed? Man, there's been some times where I felt like a slug. And I could not believe, like, did I just, re did I really just do that, right? And in those times, right, you want to run from God and you want to run from people to, 
to, in an attempt to forget your, to get, forget what you've done. They're ashamed, and so they, they, what do they do? They, they put on some fig leaves. But let's be honest, those fig leaves don't cover up their shame. It actually just reminds them of it. Then, and God knows, right? <laughs> them putting on these fig leaves isn't going to like trick God, right? It's not, it's not going to trick him. So the enemy berates them. He lies to them. He gets them to commit this sin, and then what does he do after that? Then he starts to shame them, right? And so that's what the enemy does, right? He lures us into sin, and then as soon as we commit the sin, he just goes off on us. You're, you're a horrible person. I can't believe you did that. You're just a little slug, right? Like, you don't deserve anything. You're horrible. You're a horrible person, right? You ever heard those lies? Man, that starts just running. Those tapes start running, And you know why the enemy does that in this situation? (laughs) He does that because he wants relationship broken. He doesn't care how he gets it. So on the front end, he's trying to lure you into sin to break relationship. And then on the back end, he's trying to shame you so that you don't go back to God to see that intimacy and that relationship restored, right? So it's, I'm trying to get you away from God. And then it's, I'm trying to keep you away from God. That's what shame is meant to do. And it's a tactic of the enemy to keep us from coming back to God. Okay? All right, I'm just getting warmed up here. I'm telling you. Okay, so the enemy baits us into sin so that we isolate ourselves in that place of shame. So what happens next? They flee. They run from God. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Can you hear the shame in Adam's voice there? Heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. The reason why this is emotional for me is because the very God that created them and loved them, now they, are, they, they, have, they believe that they need to run from him. They believe that he is just out to get them and out to punish them. And that is so contrary to the heart of God. They didn't need to be taught to hide. They knew they had messed up. They knew they had broken relationship with God. And they go hide in some bushes as a result. <laughs> you think God needed to ask them where they were? Have you ever played hide and seek with a two-year-old? <laughs> Not that hard. <laughs> God knew exactly where they were. And he knew exactly what they had done. But he was giving them an opportunity to, re- to, to participate in the restoration of the relationship. And despite the fact that it was their own sin that led to this situation. God was no longer a loving father in their minds. He was somebody that was out, a mean authoritarian who just didn't want them to have any fun. And they had to run from him to avoid any punishment from him. And so the very relationship they treasured the most immediately became the one they needed to flee the fastest. You see, intimacy is lost in the garden as they run from God 
And in this place of running, they begin to blame one another. So we walk in shame, and then we flee from God, and then what do we do? Start to point the finger. It was his fault. It was her fault I did that. And Adam said, who told you? And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you to eat from? The man said, the woman that you put here with me. She was the one who made me do it. And then the woman says, the serpent. It was the serpent who made me do it, right? We all know we have a tendency to project our sin onto other people or onto situations that have come our way. And instead of owning up and admitting their fault so that once again, restoration and intimacy could be restored, they keep blaming everybody else but themselves. It's in us. It's in us. Our tendency is to blame. And in their blame, and in this cycle of craziness, as I like to refer to it, pain begins to just surface. And are there consequences to their sin? Yes, they're, they're sent out of the garden. There are consequences. But the, 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 the cycle of craziness doesn't, doesn't stop when they're let out of the garden. Just look at Genesis chapter 4, right? What happens? Cain kills Abel. Your sin is not just about yourself, remember? Your sin will affect the generations to follow you. There's a reason why there's something called generational sin. And so their sin and their participation in this craziness cycle gets passed on to their children immediately. And so if we want to write a different story for our children, then we need to learn how to get out of this crazy cycle. This doesn't have to be our destiny. This doesn't have to be your story. There's a way out. Okay? And so Genesis 3, it's not just about Adam and Eve. This is a picture of us. This is a picture of our own brokenness and our own sin and our own crazy cycles, right? And it looks different for all of us, but I can guarantee you there's elements of every single one of those things in your life and in my life as well. And I don't want to live there. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live there anymore. For my own sake, for my wife's sake, and for my children's sake, I don't want to live there. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Thankfully, this doesn't have to be the end of the story. Let's look at Romans 5 this morning. Mm, Come on, Lord, thank you. Starting in verse 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace from the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of God reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as sin, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many were made, will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ 
our Lord. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Jesus is the new Adam. Jesus is the new Adam. And so just as sin came into the world through Adam, the grace of God comes in the world through the one man, Jesus Christ. But what this passage is teaching us is that, yes, Adam's sin had incredible consequences. Think of all the sin and the pain and the violence and the wars that have come into the world because of that one act. Okay, that's a powerful thing. But what this scripture is telling us is that Jesus is more powerful than that. His power is more than the power that was let out in the world in that moment. Jesus has the power to set us free. Jesus has the power to restore intimacy with the Father and with one another. Well, I'm going to give you three little practicals on how you can get out of the crazy cycle. Choose today to believe in the goodness of God. Doesn't mean you don't wrestle with hard things that happen in life. It just means that you do so from a place of trust in the character and nature of God. One of my favorite stories is a uh, young, young, a lady named Lexia Meek, and she's on a mission trip overseas, and she gets a call from Kevin Johnson, and uh, he says, "Lexia, I got some bad news. Uh, your father has, has has passed away. He's committed suicide." And, you know, just broken, right? And I'll never forget, you know, she just, she said, uh, she went quiet for, for a while, and Kevin's like, Lexia, are you there? And uh, her first words in response were, my top button is buttoned. What she meant by that is that when we, the goodness of God is like our top button, and we put that top button in place, Everything else falls into place after that. But we have to know the goodness of God. And when we know the goodness of God, we can walk through some really hard stuff in life. Because you will have trouble in this earth. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We need the goodness of God in our life. Secondly, the way we get out of this crazy cycle is by choosing to focus on Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning, don't make your sin the focus of your life. You can't get out of your sin by focusing on your sin. The only way you're going to get out of your sin is by focusing on the one who can actually has the power to deliver you from it. We need Jesus. Tend your heart. Renew your mind. We act on the things that we believe are good for us, right? The reason why temptations are temptations is because they are appealing to us. We think that that is good and it's going to do, and it's going to help us and it's going to do good in our life and in our heart. We have to tend our heart. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need the spirit of God to walk in freedom. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you. The third way we can get out of this crazy cycle is by choosing to respond to God. Declare the goodness of God over your life every day. Romans 8.1 says, For there is some condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nope. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not 99% clean. You're 100% clean. So that way I can guarantee you, I can say definitively that if there's shame in your life, it's not from God. Let me say that again. If there's shame in your life, 
It's not from God. That's from the enemy. Jesus doesn't come to shame you. He comes to set you free. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is specific about an act you've committed. Condemnation is what I call the general feel badge. You're no good. You'll never be any good. We need to be able to discern between those two so that we can walk in freedom. Declare the goodness of God. Repent of your sin. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We love that verse, prayer of a righteous man, powerful and effective. Well, it's in the context of confession so that you can be prayed for, right? Man, I I need some righteous people praying for me when I'm walking in sin so that I can get set free. Third, believe. Man, believe that God is for you. As we wrap up today, I want to read one last verse from Genesis chapter 3. I love this verse. And it may be one, it's actually my favorite verse in this entire chapter. And it might be one that you may have never seen before or noticed. And it's in verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So Michael, that's kind of strange. Why, 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 why is that verse so significant? Here's where the story shifts, y'all. Not only does God come to them in their sin, not only does he pursue them after they've run from him, not only does he love them after they've blamed one another, but he comes to them and he says, no, you don't need to be wearing those fig leaves anymore. So he finds an animal in the garden. And guess what? That animal hadn't done anything wrong. That animal was pure and blameless. And God never created the animals to murder them. They were part of his creation. But he understood that there was blood that had to be spilled. There had to be a price for what Adam and Eve had been done, had done. And so he slaughters that animal here at the end of Genesis chapter 3. And what does he do? He takes it, that animal and he makes garments from it. And he covers them in their sin and their shame. And you know what that animal, you know who that animal was? That animal was Jesus. And so Jesus is in the garden with us. He's in the garden with us. And he comes to cover our sin and to cover our shame. So this morning, where are you walking in shame? Where are you hiding in the bush from God? You don't have to hide there anymore. You can come out because Jesus wants to clothe you. He wants to cover you. And so where are you walking out in a fig leaf of shame? Where have you picked up a fig leaf of shame? Where have you picked up a fig leaf of listening to the lies of the enemy? Where have you picked up a fig leaf of questioning the goodness of God? Where have you picked up a fig leaf of walking in sin or walking in shame or running from God? Those are fig leaves or blaming others. Those are fig leaves. Lay those down at the feet of Jesus and pick up a garment of praise. Pick up a garment of knowing the voice of God, knowing the goodness of God, knowing the power of God, knowing the the, the power of forgiveness and confession, knowing the power of running to God instead of away from him. We need to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Stand with me as we wrap up today as the worship team comes forward. So this morning, the altar is open. This morning, the invitation is real. You don't have to run from God anymore. You don't have to hide in that bush anymore. You can come on out. 
So this morning, you, maybe you've never come out of the bush before. Maybe you've never realized that God was loving and he was kind and that he was for you and that he wanted, wants to cover your sin. So today, there's an invitation. There's an invitation to give your life to Jesus today. To button your top button. Say, God, you're good. I believe in you. In the midst of my sin, I'm choosing not to blame you for my sin. I'm choosing to come to you so that you can heal my sin. For the rest of us, where have you bought into this cycle of craziness? And where do you need to be set free? I encourage you to just close your eyes right where you're at. Jesus, would you meet with us? Would you set us free? We don't want to live in the bush anymore. We don't want to live in isolation from you or others anymore. We don't want to live in a place of fear anymore. We want you to close us with garments of praise. Clothe us, clothe us with garments of praise today. We need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Thank you that you were in the garden with us. You were there from the beginning, Jesus. You're there from the beginning. You're the lamb that was slain on behalf of the sins of the world. Would you clothe us with your blood today? We love you, Jesus. We worship you. Let's respond to him.